Good afternoon, everyone. Great to see you all. Um, I want to dive into Scripture today, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 8. I'll put it up on the screens, but if you want to follow it in your Bible or on a device, then please do. But in many ways, I'm not going to share anything particularly new today. Uh, Most of you know my heart. Most of you know my heart to see disciples made. Most of you know my heart for us to go and and sow the gospel into the places where God leads us to. And at the beginning of this new year, I want to talk about that again. And so apologies if you <laughs> heard me talk about this a number of times. You think not again, Andy. But it, it encourages me to look at it again. And my prayer is to encourage all of us to look at this again. And just be constantly reminded of the call that we carry as disciples. The call that we carry as followers of Jesus to sow the gospel, to sow the word of God into the communities and the people around us. Amen? Amen. So let's go for it. Just to say that over the next couple of weeks, I'm obviously speaking today, Phil's going to speak next week, and we're just going to share some vision and some heart as we start the new year. In fact, the next series that we're going to embark on after that, the next teaching series, we had a few, we invited the prophetic people in the church, or some of the prophetic people in the church, to just speak into what we're going to teach about And one thing that came forward was just about some freedom, just maybe not being quite so rigid and just allowing people to share their heart a little bit more and just to allow God to speak and see where he takes us. So we want to do that. We're going to be a bit freer and we'll unpack that and and share how that's going to happen in the coming weeks. But let's have a look at Luke chapter 8. It says this from verse 1 to 15. After this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, a woman whom whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he, scat- as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown." When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, so they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Just a couple of things right from the off I want to pull out from this 
parable, well known to many of us, I'm sure. Firstly, the seed is the word of God. Luke's really clear that the seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel. And this parable is all about different people who hear the gospel, who hear the word of God, and how the events go on, and how some of them, the seed is stolen, or or falls away, or is choked, and how, but how some falls in good soil. And it's interesting how Luke talks about good soil. I always thought that good soil meant that I believe in Jesus. And, and of course, that's right, isn't it? But there's the other types of soil. Certainly, that the, the, the seed that fell in the rock, certainly the seed that was choked. It seems like those people also believe, or at least believed, So it seems to me that the good soil, something else happens. And Luke tells us about that. He tells it that that there's a hundred times multiplication, if you like, that goes on. That seed, through perseverance, sees a crop reproduced a hundred times. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 4 of this parable, he talks about 30, 60, or 100 times. But Luke just goes for the ton. He just goes for a hundred times. Reproducing, multiplying that seed that was sown. And isn't that encouraging? And isn't that a challenge as well to us? That if we believe that we're good soil, which I look around and I see so much good soil here today. Let's remember that persevering, not allowing life's worries, pleasures or riches to steal that seed will help us to reproduce what God is doing in our life. So what's this parable really about? Well, for those who like some pictures, I've got some pictures. Here's an empty field because what happens first off is the farmer finds a field. He finds a field where there's nothing really growing. He finds a field where there's space for him to sow his seed or her seed. There's an empty field that he goes into or she goes into. And then The farmer sows seed, and they sow seed generously because they know that some's going to fall on the path. They know some will fall among rocks. They know some is going to get choked by the thorns, but they know if they scatter lots of seed, then some is going to fall in good soil. And then the crops start to grow, and the farmer tends them, and the farmer waters them and looks after them, but the the, the plants, the crops are growing, and the farmer sees that happen. And then when the, the, the crop is mature, when it's ready to be harvested, he takes the sickle to it, and he cuts the crops, and then he gathers them together. He gathers those crops together because the harvest has come. That's the analogy of this parable. Now, there's a disciple-making movement in Asia who really was inspired by this parable of the sower. And they really wanted to apply it to how they can get out and how they can sow the word of God into the communities around them. And they saw so many people saved and so many disciples made. And so they started to reflect on this. They said, let's find some fields. Let's find some fields where not much is growing. Let's find some fields where there's plenty of room to sow the gospel. There's plenty of room to sow the kingdom of God. There's plenty of room to sow the word of God into this community or into this person, whatever it might be. 
Then they said, once we've entered this field, we're going to start to sow seeds. We're going to scatter seeds everywhere. Knowing that some will fall on good soil if we sow and scatter lots of seeds. And then once they've scattered the seeds, they understand that they're going to see disciples start to be made. They're going to start to see people respond to the message and give their lives to the Lord and want to grow in discipleship and follow Jesus. And so the plants, they say, are like the disciples that are growing, following the sowing of the seed. And then finally, they want to take, when those disciples are matured, they want to take the sickle to it, so to speak, and gather them together because the harvest is coming in. They want to gather them together and train them and release them, gather them into churches or into discipleship groups, train and release them. And what are they going to release them to do? They're going to release them to find a field where not much is growing and there's plenty of room for the word of God to be sown. And then they're going to train them to scatter seeds everywhere. And then they're going to teach them about how disciples start to be made as a result of that progress and how to train them and how to gather them together into churches and into discipleship groups and train them to how to get out and find a field and sow seeds. And maybe, just maybe, that's something of what Luke's talking about and Mark and other gospel writers talk about when they are talking about through perseverance, seeing what was sown into your life reproduced a hundred times. As we gather people, as we train people, and send them out into the harvest fields. Now, why am I so confident that if we get out and sow seeds, that we're going to see disciples made? Well, I believe that Mark, in his account of the parable of the sower, gives us this answer. He says this. This follows his account of the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, from 26 to 29. It says this. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Isn't that interesting? Night or day, whether he's awake, whether he's sleeping... God is at work. God is at work in that seed that's been sown in someone's life. He doesn't know how it happens. He doesn't understand it. All by itself, it starts to grow. Now, of course, the farmer wants to water the plant. Of course, the, flower, the farmer wants to, to, to tend the crop. He, he, he's got or she's got a responsibility in all of this, of course. But that process of having sown the word of God into someone's life, to start to, to start to work, to start to make a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Can you see our responsibility in this? To get out finding fields, sowing the gospel, training and releasing more disciples, more followers of Jesus to do the very same thing. Let's go back right to the start of Luke 8 where we started 
from verse 1, it says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. What's he doing? Finding fields. Where there's not much growing. Where there's people far from God. Where there's plenty of room to sow the gospel. Traveled around from one town village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Sowing seeds. The twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. He's gathering and training disciples, followers of him. And we're going to find out in a moment what he does with those disciples and those followers. Because Jesus, immediately before he teaches about this parable of the sower, is setting up by his actions and what he's doing, showing his disciples how to do this. Immediately after, if you're following it in your Bibles, immediately after this parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, we hear about a light on a stand. Jesus saying, don't hide your light. Don't put it under a bowl. Don't hide it away. Let it shine. Isn't that interesting? Immediately following this parable of the sower, that, that Luke records Jesus as saying this at this point. Don't hide your light. Sow seeds. Let people hear this word of God, the seed. And in verse 21 of Luke 8, when Jesus is asked about his mother and brothers, he said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Parable of the sower, light on a stand. It's not just nice words to hear. There's a call to put this work into practice. And then in Luke chapter 9, Here's where Jesus starts to send people out, having taught them about the power of the sower, after having said about light on the stand, about having done more miracles like calming the storm and some deliverance that we read about in Luke 8 as well. He sends out his 12 disciples and he sends them out to go ahead. He sends them out to find people who are receptive to the gospel. And then his disciples came, come back saying, wow, this has all happened as we've done this. Look at what God has done through us. And then Luke records the feeding of the 5,000. Through this lens of what Jesus is teaching here, I find this really interesting about this miracle of multiplication. That Jesus has five loaves, two fish. There's a huge crowd to feed, but he wants to feed them through his disciples. He wants his disciples to see this multiplication of food go out to people who need it. Isn't that an interesting point where Luke puts this Amazing miracle. And then in verses 57 to 62, Luke talks about the cost of following Jesus. Because this is not an easy thing to do. This is not easy work. This may cost us a lot. It might cost us a lot in time and money. Might even end up with a bit of persecution because the enemy certainly doesn't love believers who do this kind of work. But are we going to be people that count the cost and choose to follow Jesus in this way? There's a challenge put in there. Then in Luke chapter 10, we read about Jesus sending out the 72. So there's multiplication happening. He sent out his 12 and they've come back. Now he's sending out 72 people. We don't know exactly where these people have come from, but there's more disciples, more believers who have been sent out two by two to go ahead into the towns and villages where Jesus is going to go to find new fields. And they're called like the 12 were, to find people who are receptive to the gospel, receive hospitality from those who want to hear this message. 
and keep sowing it. And in verse 2 of chapter 10, Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need more workers to find fields, to sow the gospel, to see disciples made, to train and release them to do the very same thing. And maybe those workers are going to come from that mission where Jesus sends out his 72. I like to think that that's uh, something that could happen. I'll let you reflect on that one. So we see multiplication happening here in these, just these few chapters in Luke's gospel. But it started right at the beginning in Genesis with the call to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. That's where it started. And we see it traced right throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. In Luke chapter 5, we see the first disciples called four fishermen who Jesus called and says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to fish for more people. And then here in Luke 8, we see the 12 and more women with them. We see then the 72 sent out as we looked at. Certainly by Acts chapter 1, we know there's 120 in the upper room just before Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 2, you've got 3,000 people saved in a day. So we've got at least 3,120 at that point. At the end of Acts chapter 2, we hear that the, the Lord was adding to their number daily those that were being saved. By Acts chapter 4, we read that there's 5,000, and that's just the men. Presumably, there's more than just the 5,000. But that's happened by Acts chapter And then Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we read this. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Can you see what's happening with what Jesus is started here? To see disciples multiplied, everything increasing. In Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends, he's risen again. Before he ascends and sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This has got to go viral. This has got to go big. This has got to go to the ends of the earth, to everyone. The disciples are in Jerusalem, the first part of this, in the first seven chapters of Acts. And then with the stoning of Stephen at the end of Acts 7, we read that the disciples, this is right at the beginning of Acts 8, they're scattered. And it says they're scattered into Judea and Samaria, the second part of this mission. And what do they do? We read it in Acts 8. They share the gospel. In these new fields that they found, they start sharing the gospel. And we want to play our part, don't we, in taking this to the ends of the earth. To be those who, whether we're in India or Uganda, whether we're here in Basingstoke, whether we're out in Brazil, to take this gospel to everyone. Amen? So what we're going to do in the hub then in 2022 and beyond? Well, we want to step out a little bit more. It's great the way we meet here on Sundays. It's great the way we meet in small groups. That's still carrying on, that's still good, but we want to step out a little bit more for those who catch something of this vision 
that I've just outlined and want to do a little bit more. It's a, these groups that we've been talking about wanting to start in January, and we have already started. I'll talk about that in a little while. But there's an invitation to anyone who wants to join us. If you feel inspired by either hearing what I've said today or the call to be more missional, or maybe you came to that evening we did on the 13th of December where I outlined this in a little bit more, then there's an invitation to you to join us. As good as it is meeting here, as good as it is meeting in homes, there's another level that we believe that God is calling us to this year and beyond in the midst of all the challenge that's around. Will we be those who put this parable of the sower into practice? Let our light shine. Because you see, I think this four fields work is apostolic work. I really do. The, if you know that term, then the apostle is someone who does this kind of work. That's what, I, that's what I believe. That's what the apostle Paul did with his teams. I believe that's the kind of work that is done by an apostle. And that's about equipping the church to get involved in that work as well, as we hear Paul write about in Ephesians 4. But in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about what we call the fivefold ministry, apostolic, the apostle being one of those. But there's also prophets, and there's evangelists, and pastors, and teachers that make up that fivefold ministry. And I feel really inspired to think about how could we in the hub have all those five gifts working together really well? Because they're gifts that God gives to the church. And so I've outlined what I think the work of an apostle is. Prophets, what about seeing the prophets here in the church released in terms of finding or seeing what God's saying about the fields that he has for us to enter? Wouldn't that be amazing if some of you have a real prophetic gifting could just seek the Lord about what he's saying about fields, people to enter into? The best way that God is helping us to make this process work. Love to see that. Evangelists, well, the role of evangelists is quite clear in here, I think, in terms of getting out, sowing the gospel, seeing people come to faith. Let's release the evangelist. If you've got an evangelistic gifting, we need you. Come and see us and we'll help you to grow in that and we'll, we'll glean what you have as well to bring into that process for us as a church. Pastors, there's a role for pastors in this. Not just about looking after those already in the church, but what if we thought about pastoring those who are not yet in the church? That seems really exciting to me. What about people who respond to this message? And we can help them get set free from some of the stuff they need to get set free from. We can help them to grow, create an environment where they can grow. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus quotes that harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, quote that I gave a minute ago. It's in the context of him looking at the crowds. And they were like sheep without a shepherd, it says. How could we be shepherds? How could we be pastors to those who are in desperate need of something of the kingdom of God in their lives? And then what about the teachers? Well, we need the teachers to help train and equip and release people into the mission fields. New people coming to faith. How can we release our teachers here? Not just to teach those who are already in the church, but to teach those who are coming into the church in our discipleship groups, in our services. You see how the five-fold ministry could really work around this vision, and I'm passionate about seeing that happen. And remember, those five-fold giftings are to equip the church for works of service. It's not just about some super apostles or super evangelists or super prophets, pastors or teachers doing all the work. 
I'm afraid it's about those with those giftings equipping the church for works of service. So we all have a role in this. So what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we want to have a focus on well-being this year as we start this year. Phil was talking about it earlier. Thank you, Phil, for just introducing that so well and raising that this afternoon. We really feel that there's a need within the church and absolutely outside of the church as well to support each other with our mental health and well-being. We're really grateful to Rob Whitehouse, see Rob up at the back, who uh, went on a 12 steps course last term for the very reason that he wants to see if that was something we could run here in the hub. And uh, Margie and I met with Rob the other week and we're going to make a 12 steps course available to, to be part of coming probably in about February, March time, I think, Rob. And Rob's going to talk about it, our communication evening on Zoom on the 26th of this month. So listen out for that. We'll hear a little bit more. But 12 Steps was initially for alcoholics who wanted to deal with their addiction. A church in London has taken it and made it even more God-based, if you like, and has really made it a a great biblically-based course that churches can use. And it's not just for people who are struggling with addiction. It is that. It can be very effective for that. But also for people who maybe struggle with self-worth. Maybe people who struggle with anxiety. Maybe people who struggle with anger. Maybe people who suffer with just disillusionment and not knowing what's next. There's loads of ways this 12 Steps course, we believe, can be really helpful. So look out for more details of that. Also, Pete Hay, who's part of Hope Church and myself, have been work, has been working on a, a course, just a three-session basic course about God's heart and God's help for our well-being. And we just want to make it available maybe as a pilot initially for anyone who wants to do it. But like I say, just three sessions, just really short. But it's really looking at God's heart to bring shalom or peace into our lives. And what is his help for that? What does he do to help us to experience that shalom, that peace? And so it'll be, again, very biblically based. And we'll go through that and support each other on that and chat and pray through that. But if you're interested in that, look out for more details. We're working on that and that should be ready pretty soon. We've also formed a well-being team within the hub, part of the pastoral, wider, wider pastoral team. And uh, very grateful to those of you who are on that that well-being team, just exploring what we can do. And of course, there may, be more, there may be fields within that as well that we can see in terms of reaching people who are not yet part of the kingdom of God. So we're excited about that. And then we've already formed a group that is doing this work that I've talked about today, based on the parable of the sower, finding fields, sowing seeds, seeing disciples made, gathering them together, training and releasing them to do the same. We've already started doing that. We're going to get out on the streets and share with people. We're going to support each other in how we might have friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, in our schools and colleges, wherever it may be, to do this kind of work, this apostolic work. And if you're interested in that, then there is an invitation to come and be part of this. Look, we're not experts. At the moment, it's Margie Mendelssohn, Karen Valdar, Claire Freeman, Sophie Stanford, myself, and we, we just want to go for it. We just want to try it. We just want to get out there, try and be a bit bold, share with some people and trust that those seeds we sow are going to be 
turned into disciples by that work of the Holy Spirit that we talked about earlier. We don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to trust God and go for it. If you want to join us, please come and speak to myself or one of those I just mentioned, because this is open to anyone who wants to be part of it, and we want to go for it. Just look at it, like Tony Gadsden and Sue as well. Others already doing this kind of work. It's just fantastic. So we've got things to learn from others like you guys, but we just want to go out and we want to get on with it and we want to give it a go and see what God's going to do. So why not join us if you're inspired by this kind of work? But whether you join us or not, let me ask you, what fields is God calling you to? Because if you want to see that kind of reproduction of what was sown into your life, that word of God that was sown into your life, if you want to see that multiply a hundred times, then what field is God calling you to? There's a prayer group forming. Sophie's taking the lead in this just to really support this work in the hub. You know, we could go out and we could try and we can try, but hey, it's not by power and not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we need... God to be influencing this. We need to be God to be, to be preparing the hearts of people we're going to meet. And so if you feel like for whatever reason, practically or whatever, you can't quite do this yet, but you want to be part of a group who's just bathing the whole thing in prayer, then come and speak to Sophie because we'd love to see a group forming to pray into this work. What about Sundays? Well, we want our monthly celebration to continue. And uh, so we're going to do that, normally the first Sunday of each month, as a time where we can all come together and just celebrate and worship. I thought we had a great time last week. I thought Joy's message was brilliant. If you haven't heard it, then I'd encourage you to listen. All about not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord from Zechariah. And so we're going to do that. Other Sundays, please join us. What we're not saying is just come to church once a month. That's not what we're saying. And you're all here on the... A Sunday that's not a celebration, so um, I think you, you probably all understand that, which is great. But what we are saying is that we want once a month to be able to be a real celebratory time where we all come together. And if you're involved in this kind of work, involved in things like 12 Steps, and if you really feel like, actually, God's calling me to something that's going to take up some time, because particularly this kind of work that I've outlined today, Once we start seeing people come to faith, once we start helping those disciples to grow, once we start gathering together and training and releasing them, that's going to take a lot of time. And actually, if we really feel that God is calling us to that, well, let's give ourselves to that if we feel that that's a calling that God is putting on our lives. And for some of you, it may not be. So I'm not trying to make this for everyone. I understand that. But if you believe that's for you, then we're saying let's make the celebration a real priority. But let's not neglect other Sundays. But let's just allow God to lead us where he's calling us within that. And then what about other small groups? I wanted to mention this because I don't in any way want to kind of degrade other small groups or say that this is now the thing and anything else we've done in the past is wrong or run out of time and we're not doing it anymore. That's not the case. You know, there's loads of really good things that go on in small groups. Those are missional things that are going on. Lots of people talk about being supported and released and prayed for by people in mission through the small groups we already have. So absolutely yes and amen to all of that. There's some groups that really feel like God is calling them to something specific, which may not be exactly this kind of work at the moment. And that's fine. We're not trying to stop what we already have. We want to support you in that and release you further into that. 
We value the diversity of the groups we already have. I want to make that clear this afternoon in the midst of this message. But there's a challenge, I think, for all of us about putting into practice this parable of the sower and letting our light shine. And I'd encourage all of us to consider how we could put this into practice in the small groups that maybe you're already part of. And just to say as well, just to remind us, as I said near the beginning, good soil produces a crop. Good soil produces a crop. We might need a bit of perseverance in there, as Luke makes clear. But good soil produces a crop. I want to encourage you this afternoon to consider, am I producing a crop? Is there fruit coming from my life? Is the seed that was sown in my life, is that being reproduced in the lives of others? Because I think that's a challenge to me and maybe some others as well. So just as I finish, we've got a real opportunity, I think, this year and beyond to step into this kind of work, step into more of what God has for us, what he may have already started or wants to do something new like Sophie led us in earlier. I just want to encourage us at the start of this new year, you know, time is still tough, isn't it? It's still difficult, as Phil said. And there may be an issue of timing for some of us, and some of us may need to work on our well-being or, you know, before we step into something, get that, that's absolutely fine. But there's an opportunity as we come out, hopefully, of COVID. Cases are coming down. Please, Lord, keep them coming down. But there's an opportunity, I believe, to step into something new, as we've already been led in today. And I just don't want to see us just pick up where we left off and think, oh, let's just keep going with that. Because I do believe that God wants to do something new. I really believe that God wants to do something new. And it's tough with some of us feeling like we need to stay at home a little bit more or need to limit our contacts. I have to go around wearing masks and all that kind of stuff still. I hate looking at a a church of masked up people. (laughs) But hey, look, it's where we are at at the moment, isn't it? But I believe God is doing something new and I don't want to miss it for my life and for us as a church. And so if we'd encourage you with anything, it's encourage you to keep listening to God. Phil and Sophie led us in that earlier so well, didn't they? Listening to God. What's he saying to us? Let's be those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Amen. Thank you.